Hello and welcome into NCBI's Technology Podcast. My name is Stuart Lawler. This is episode number 75 for August 2018. And thank you, as always, for downloading and subscribing to our monthly technology podcast. This is the longest one we've ever done. We're just under an hour and 40 minutes. So grab a cup of tea, put your feet up and enjoy what we've got coming up for you, because we will be hearing from Sharon Lyons with some of her favorite shortcuts and the letters J and L key. Dean Mills, in a follow up um, interview with Greg Stilson, talks about the user perspective of Ira. Eric Damery's uh, highlights from his presentation are featured. Sean Doran tells us why we need to get away from Internet Explorer and we replay a wonderful interview with Paul Trainer. That's all coming up on this month's edition of NCBI's Technology Podcast. Well, thank you again for uh, tuning into our monthly technology podcast and uh, hope you're going to enjoy what we have for you this month. Great feedback to last month's edition. And we always welcome your feedback by email to technologypodcast at ncbi.ie or on our comment line on 018821930. And lots of people enjoyed the interview we did with Greg Stilson. That's all about IRA and uh, that pilot program that's rolling out across Ireland at the moment. And in Indeed, in the UK and uh, New Zealand, I think he said. Uh, and as you heard a moment ago, we're going to be talking to Dean Mills in a while, who's been using this thing in the UK um, to find out how exactly it measures up. If you want to get in touch with us again, as I say, technologypodcast at ncbi.ie is the email address or 018821930 is the phone number. Now, former US President Barack Obama famously said in a speech, change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. And this month, I have to tell you, it's all about change on NCBI's technology podcast. After just over 16 years working with the organization, I am moving on and uh, going to the next chapter in my career later in August to work in the private sector. I've thoroughly enjoyed working in NCBI. It's a fantastic place to work with some wonderful people and doing really, really great work to support the people in Ireland living every day with sight loss. I've particularly enjoyed, I suppose, putting together this podcast. After 75 episodes, I'm sitting here kind of going, this is the end for me, but most certainly not the end for the podcast. Um, there's lots of discussion taking place internally in NCBI because NCBI very definitely want the podcast to continue, and I'm very happy to hear that. And I've been reliably informed today, uh, as we record by the senior management in NCBI, that there will be a podcast in September and things will continue as normal. I don't know who's going to host it or what's going to happen to it, but please continue to support our technology podcast because it will be back with you as normal in September. I think the NCBI technology podcast as a vehicle has been really important, not only to keep our listeners abreast of what's happening in technology, but to allow our many listeners to share their technology stories 
we've had so many great things in the last six years. I was taking a little reminiscent look back through some of our podcasts um, there last week and the, the very early days when Des Kenny and I used to sit down and kind of talk about what will we put on the podcast next month and what will we do this month and I'm going to interview this person and then people starting to come to us and saying I'd like to talk about this or that. And that was the real power. And we became recognised, I think, not only in Ireland, but internationally as something that should be listened to monthly. So I'm very proud about that. And I'm very proud that NCBI want to keep it on. But it would not have happened without people who listen and get in touch and engage with us uh, and, and kind of keep in touch with us. So thank you so much. I'm looking forward to listening to this podcast on the other side of the microphone. Very happy to be doing so. And I know it's going to go from strength to strength. We've just celebrated six years. This is episode 75. Let's make sure this thing keeps going and do keep in touch with the new NCBI technology podcast team as they will be revealed uh, on the September edition. So let's uh, get on with the show. Now it's time once again for more shortcuts. We're continuing our alphabet series and uh, delighted to be joined once again by Sharon Lyons. Sharon, with more shortcuts, welcome back. Hi, Stuart. How are you? We're in person this month. We, we seem to do every second month in person yeah. on, uh, <laughs> on, on our uh, remote audio link. Um, it's interesting, Sharon, because we're, we're kind of, you know, th- this podcast is changing, of course, after this month. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thinking that I was looking back actually at the podcast. We started this in 2015 with you wow. with Sharon's shortcuts early 2015 I think it was February 2015 yeah, yeah. Um, so we've come through a lot of shortcuts I know it's been a very popular um, it's been a very popular slot a lot of people have been contacting us by email over the over the three and a half or so years that you've been with us uh, talking about the shortcuts so thank you for yeah. bringing us so many shortcuts and oh, before no we before the end of this um, slot I'm going to talk about my light bulb moment of shortcuts because <laughs> oh, I, I, I have one favourite shortcut that I use almost every day Brilliant. that I never knew about until we did this slot absolutely uh, so um, today we're continuing our Windows Alphabet series with uh, with L and M, which are certainly M is a throwback to over 20 years ago, I think. Oh, yes, it is indeed. Yes, I was looking back actually a bit um, because I think when we talked about doing these two letters last month or so, um, and you were saying, oh, that's a throwback to a long time ago, and I thought, oh, let me just go and find out. <laughs> so I actually was having a look at the history of the Windows key itself and it first came, the Windows key first appeared on keyboards in 1994 mm. on something called a Microsoft natural keyboard. Um, and then, but it was the key combinations with the Windows key uh, came in in Windows 95. So uh, things like Windows M and Windows D they were all Windows 95. Um, and, yeah, Windows L was Windows 2000. So way back, way back. It, it's interesting, though, isn't it, that it was a Microsoft keyboard. So mm. Microsoft were clearly planning ahead to Windows 95. They, they, they knew they were going to use this key. Yes, definitely. And, and originally it was, it was always the key that you hit to get the start menu, you yeah. know. And that was their big thing, wasn't it, right? Press Windows and then you can start. Yeah whatever you want to do yeah so I think that was all where it came from yeah 
Yeah. So we've had a Windows key for quite a while at this yeah, stage. Indeed, yes. Uh, back in the old days of 95, I remember there was, you'd often be running Windows 95 on com- keyboards that didn't have a Windows key, so you'd use Control Escape. That's right, yeah. And you can still use Control Escape. So they kind of left that Control there. Escape. Control Escape, search box edit. Brings you to the start menu. That's okay. The start menu, okay. yeah. Okay. And you can press it again Control to get escape. rid of it. Brings you back out. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. So today we're looking at uh, Windows L and M. And Windows L, Sharon, it's one I use a lot. Yes, it is. It's very handy if you're just stepping away from your desk and you just want to lock your screen. Um, so that's what it does. So if I hold down Windows and press L, L. it goes to the lock, lock screen. screen. There we go. It says it eventually, um, which is actually quite a nice. I get different pictures that come up on my lock screen and the time and the date comes up quite clearly as well, um, which is quite good. So so, so this is kind of akin to, I I guess, pressing the power button on your phone when you're sticking your phone in your pocket. Yeah. It goes into a lock screen, but it's still activated. It will still receive all notifications. It does all that stuff. Yeah. Just means that nobody can can go over and log into it while you're not there. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a temporary method of just you know, I suppose, for security uh, method to put it standby. I guess it kind of depends on your setup as well. Um, for example, if I come out of this and I press escape, it's, it's going to um, ask me for my PIN. Actually, it doesn't say anything, but I put in a PIN number rather than password these days. So I just type in my PIN and it's back up Unlocks again. again. Okay, okay. Um, I'm, I'm on Windows 10 here with uh, JAWS... 18 just to let you know so um yeah so you might have your password you might have to put in your password or um you might not have anything Mm -hmm. on some machines and then you just you can still lock the screen and just like it's a bit like a screensaver i guess and if you if you you don't have a password if you press any key it just unlocks it again but i suppose nowadays best practice would say we should all have passwords i'd say so and and certainly if you're using a windows machine you're usually setting it up with your microsoft account mm. anyway yeah so you probably have that set up when you log in yeah um and it's, it's always a good idea to do that just to keep things um safe you know i'm like you i'm using a pin on my windows machine right. uh, i have two machines actually linked to my to my microsoft account and same as you use the pin to log in and it's it's all very seamless it does it does seem to work quite well um yeah i i would um have i have my account on a few different machines as well and of course you can have shared machines mm-hmm. um yeah so it all it, it like you say it's seamless across uh across based on your account yeah Yeah. okay handy shortcut there windows l uh, say a very handy one easy one to use Mm -hmm. and then windows m is the throwback certainly when i was learning to use windows 95 Mm -hmm. and the very very old um training material very early training material rather coming out coming out of what was at the time henter joyce who's now freedom scientific and their bfo wow and eric damery and uh, this guy ted henter were on these training cassettes so long long time ago wow and they used to talk about windows and m to as they said minimize all apps that's That's right yeah windows m minimize so if i do windows m windows m uh okay So I have oh, my an application, yeah. My email and I have JAWS running, so Windows M. Um, and it doesn't really say anything, but uh, it, it's actually 
minimise them down to the taskbar, so now it's showing my desktop. And this is a bit different to Windows and D then, isn't it? Because Windows it D is. does slightly different thing. Windows D versus Windows N. <laughs> so sometimes I might be teaching someone who knows a few shortcuts and I'm maybe just filling in some gaps for them. And I say, well, if you press Windows D now, and they say, well, usually I press Windows M. Mm. And there's this kind of toss up, like, are you a Windows D person or are you a Windows M person? <laughs> but they both do very similar things. But the difference with Windows M, M see, if I did Windows M again, Windows M, desktop, folder view, list view. Oh, it goes onto the desktop, but it doesn't really Windows do anything. Um, whereas if I focus on my Outlook again, and this time, so I have that uh, window up, and if I do Windows D, takes me to my desktop. But if I press Windows D again, it switches back to the so application I was on. Between them. Okay. Yeah. I was trying to remember this last night because yeah. I knew there was a difference and I couldn't work out what it was. So Windows and M will just always stay on the desktop, but mm -hmm. Windows D lets you toggle between the last app you had open. Exactly. Or last yeah. app you had in focus and the desktop. Yep. Okay, that's it. perfect. Yeah. So which do you use more? Are you a Windows oh, D? Oh, I'm a Windows D person. Yeah, I am as well. I don't I know, D for desktop. But yeah, <laughs> and, and, and years ago sense. I was Windows M, but exactly as you say, D for desktop. And, and I think when we're training, people showing you how to use these things we tend to do windows d as well yeah yeah um, sorry windows m but yeah, you know you do work but nice to, <laughs> nice preference. to know it's still there anyway Absolutely. And those, I, I think the thing with those keystrokes that have been there forever they kind of they're not getting rid of them they just leave them sitting there yeah that's good um, yeah, yeah you know which is i suppose good and it is good i mean they've been around for so long and now with windows 10 which is why we started this series really they're, they're starting to really fill out the alphabet with different things so and we're halfway through now so um yeah what a what a, what a great know. place to to stop i suppose halfway through the alphabet mm -hmm. um sharon before we before we end and talk maybe very briefly again about the sharon shortcuts series because we've mm. covered an awful lot of stuff um, yes. in terms of applications as well especially the web and you did a lot of stuff on word but before we talk about that um i wanted to maybe ask you and to talk about maybe one or two keystrokes that you find really useful that you have been sort of drilling into people or telling people all about. The one that I found really useful, as I said, my light bulb moment mm -hmm. a few minutes ago, um, was when we you were talking about the, the file manager, the yes. Windows Explorer, and you were showing us how to create folders. Yes. And I always <laughs> had a very long way of creating folders, Alt, down, or Shift F10, I think it was, down, all the way down, new sub menu, enter yep. on folder. Yeah. And Sharon told me about a keystroke called Control, Shift, and N to create a folder and it's absolutely I never knew it existed oh it is the best it is one of the best it's a and I'll never forget that moment because I always thought of you Stuart as knowing all the shortcuts no, I wasn't really sure whether not. you I was introducing anything new to you and then I said and control shift N is a new folder and you went oh really <laughs> And I, and I didn't know that one. And I was like, no way, Stuart, yeah. you must have known that no, one. No, no, oh, that was, so, that was just It's classic. a great keystroke, that great keystroke. Yeah. <laughs> Any other ones that, that really jump out at you as keystrokes that are maybe particularly useful for you or that you think people should definitely use? You know, if you kind of, one of these things, if you do nothing else, mm. use this keystroke. Mm. Well, I, um, like, I started up Sharon's Shortcuts really uh, to... Um, produce information for anyone to use you know 
So I think all the shortcuts are useful, whether you use a screen reader or not. I think they're very time-saving. And my one in particular would have to be Alt plus Tab ah. to switch between applications. Mm. And I know for a fact that, um, that when people discover that shortcut, especially if people use more than one screen, actually. You know, some people at work use uh, two screens yeah. to do their work visually. Um, Alt plus Tab is just a godsend to them, really. Okay, and of course, Alt plus Tab has additional meaning in your life. It does it? indeed. All, all part of my keyboard shortcut awareness, I actually um, make my own soft drink called uh, Alt plus Tab. So it's, um, it's like a kind of a, a cordial, like a syrup that you dilute. Um, but it's a bit different because it's homemade and made with fresh ingredients and it um, doesn't have as much sugar in maybe as other soft drinks. So I called it Alt Plus Tab to switch, switch to something different <laughs> as a soft drink. Excellent. So um, as I go around and, and people um, do tastings with people or people might, it's a bit of a hobby, but people buy bottles off of me and then they go and tell their friends and, and their friends and then coming back and saying, that is a really good shortcut, Alt Plus Tab. Oh, the drink's nice too. But the, the shortcut's brilliant. So uh, uh, it's it, all about. And it's interesting. It's an that. extremely popular drink here in NCBI. And then people have been kind of, you know, saying, oh, that's, what's the Alt Tab thing? And then you say Alt Tab is easier on your, on your computer. And I've had sighted colleagues who were like, I never knew that would work. And Absolutely. they're delighted with it. So this you're spreading it. the word, Sharon. Spreading the word in many different ways. <laughs> You've had some really great sessions. I mean, I remember we did a, a really good session on how to use YouTube. Yes. Um, we were talking about different browsers. We had a, a session or two on the Chromebook. We did. Which you introduced us to. Yeah. Um, which is definitely still a very viable solution if you want a low-cost device to browse mm -hmm. the internet. And Chrome OS is getting better all the time. Um, you did a lot of stuff with us on Word and on the internet, Microsoft Outlook and Windows, and n not to mention all the different functionalities and assistance you gave us for using screen readers, mainly JAWS mm -hmm. and NVDA. So, Well, I have to say, my one of my highlights would have been, do you remember Google Docs? Yes. Uh, we did Google Docs with um, uh, collaboration. Yes, and it With two so well. screen readers, and yeah, uh, yeah that, was, that was just brilliant. I was so pleased with the way that worked. It was very impressive. Uh, yeah, and if you want to look Google back Docs. on that, it's, I think it's earlier in this year's set of podcasts, but uh, you'll find it on the, on the tech on technology podcast page Sharon it's been great to have you on the podcast things are Thank changing from next month um, yes, we'll see. we might be back in a future life somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> but for the moment Sharon thanks a million for joining us on all our technology podcasts since 2015 thanks Stuart and have a good rest of the summer everyone In the last edition of our technology podcast, you'll remember we spoke with Greg Stilson. Greg is product manager for Ira, this amazing service that so many people are talking about, which is giving uh, people with impaired vision so much independence when you are connected in real time to a sighted agent. And people have been using this technology in all sorts of innovative ways. Well, we wanted to get a real life scenario. Does this thing really work? Is it as good as Greg Stilson was telling us? 
us and I, I, I know it is because I've used it, but wants to talk to somebody else who's used it. And Dean Mills is uh, living in the UK around Birmingham and is joining us uh, live from his home. Um, Dean, welcome to our technology podcast and thanks for talking to us. Thank you. That's all right. I'm glad to help. Yeah, listen, great, um, great to have you. J- just let's let's get a sense of of who you are. Um, you're totally blind, is that right? Yes. Um, yeah. And have you been blind since birth? Yeah, I've been blind since birth. Okay, so so I, I take it you're pretty independent. You know, you're an independent traveler already. Um, yeah, I'm quite independent. I'm, I've been in very independent traveler for years. I've traveled quite a lot. I've traveled to the US before, around Europe, just done various different bits. Okay, so, tra- and, and you know, I, I've, I'm, I'm a bit like yourself. I've traveled a lot, and I know lots of other people have as well. So, so let's look at life pre-IRA. Um, what might have been some of the frustrations for you? And it doesn't just have to be travel, by the way. I think, I suppose one of the biggest frustrations is actually sometimes reading things that are um, not always available. I mean, you've got other apps that you can use, but the accuracy of them is questionable. So you can, for example, and the problem is you, you're having to use a camera and direct that camera yourself with very little feedback. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because as a blind person, that, and I find this, the direction of the camera is the hardest thing. Because you either get a really good result or kind of a semi-good kind of good result where you get bits of information or you'll get kind of nothing at all. And the trouble is if you're doing that, if you've got a really, say, an important lesson to read, that can be a huge issue. Okay, and you're relying on accuracy of OCR, and often yeah, which is not perfect, right? And often, certainly, my experience is you're reading something, and the key piece of information it didn't scan it properly, and you're there. Oh, yeah, no. that's okay. often the case. I mean, especially one of them is actually like, for example, say bank pin numbers. They're always in like a weird kind of um, not no, it's like a peel off thing. You peel off, and it's like a white back. You got to put it against a white background. So that is something that the screen readers will not read. I mean, not screen readers, sorry, the OCR will not read, sorry. Okay. So th- th- there are things that are, you know, there, there are problems that technology, I, I mean, we have AI and, and it's getting better, but it, it's not quite there yet. It's not perfect, but it's getting there. I mean, it is making progress. I mean, if you look at seeing AI from Microsoft, that's a huge one. I mean, that one is, that one's helped a lot of people around the house, like reading products, it's helped with, even the short text is good if you say want to just go over something quickly and look at it and it's really useful. Okay, so Ira comes along. You obviously, were you excited about this when you heard of, heard about it? How did you, what was your Ira journey, I suppose? I heard about it through, I believe it was Jonathan Mosen, I think. And at, it was last year. And at first I'm thinking, mm, it sounds good, but it's really expensive. Like I thought it sounds useful, but the price just does not sound worth it. And because he kind of obviously just spoke to people about it, it wasn't really in, in sorry, let me go. It wasn't really in detail, so it was just like it was. It, at first, I was a bit unsure. Um, the bit that really got me interested actually was actually Jonathan Mosen again wrote a big blog post. Um, I think I'm not sure if you've seen it or not. It's quite a long post, Ira, mm-hmm. and that made me think. Well, okay, if this is useful now. How would, how could it be useful? There was certainly one piece of that blog post, Dean, that that got me when he was talking about how he was trying to find the entrance into the exhibition area at CSUN. And, and the fact that he, obviously, with the fact that he's got some hearing loss and the fact that he said it made it easier for him. Right, right. And this actually comes on to the fact that, because we were talking about deafblind, actually, because I'm trained to be a rehabilitation worker at the minute. And we were talking about deafblind stuff, about how that could be challenging for them, like navigating and stuff. 
And it was amazing to see how he got over that. So this is the, I suppose, there's a there's a really good example of a challenge. You're in a busy lobby, very busy, uh, lots of people around, and then with, with, with a hearing loss as well. And as you say, he navigated with Ira. Tell us about your... So you, you signed up, you, did, did you get the, the glasses or are you just using the phone? I got the glasses. I mean, I was kind of lucky because my wife is from the US. So I was able to send the glasses over there and get it kind of sent and then get the glasses folded on, which I was very fortunate in that way to have that. The fact that she was able to, obviously she's from the US, so she's kind of entitled to use it. Obviously she's from the US. So, and the cool thing is, is with us two, the fact that we've obviously got a, because both of us have got vision impairment, we can share the account as well. Excellent. So we've got the limited plan, but it's shared across two people. So you guys can use this as often as you want um, yeah. throughout the month. Yeah, I mean, it's expensive. If you look at it, $329, which is about £249-ish. It's expensive. But if you think, for example, some people say we'll pay like for support that could cost, say, £200 a month. Like a council, a council, for example, over here or... A care provider could, for example, say be paying, like say, two, three hundred to help somebody, and they could be giving someone this help that would actually be always on help. That and that is on for limited usage. Do you remember your first time using this? Because I remember using it. I, I talked about it in the podcast last month in Trinity College last a year, being directed across a very busy front square in Trinity, and I was amazed. Do you remember your first time, or what was the first thing you 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 asked the them to problem- help you with? Because at first I use it kind of bit at home because obviously you have to, you actually, it brings on well here. So before you start, you do like an onboarding thing, which means they guide you through how to use the camera, how to point the camera, and they do the same with glasses. They're actually really good the way they kind of guide everyone through it. They ask you what preferences you have, if you want left or right directions, if you want clock directions. They ask you what kind of level you want to be able to see at as well. So like, for example, if you want like, descriptions that are kind of detailed, middle or not much description. But the first thing for me actually was I was at university and I was um, meeting up with some friends and they said to me, we can meet me if, meet if you want, we're going out for food. And I said to them, I said, that's okay. I said, I'll get there by myself. So I asked the person to pull up the route, which was, it, was, it wasn't a hard route, but they helped me get down to um, the local restaurant, which is about 20 minute walk. But what was nice was, because I was walking using the glasses, was they could see what was in front of me. I wasn't having to use a shoreline to walk along. So as I'm walking along, I wasn't, say, sagging into all these objects and things. So it felt a lot more fluid as I was walking along down the street. Now, without Ira going to that restaurant, yes, you might have got there, but presumably it would have taken a lot longer. It may took longer because I would have had to use other apps like other GPS apps. I mean, the thing is, I still would have got there. So it's not saying that I wouldn't have got there, but it would have been more difficult. Okay, so so your your uh, your IRA agent stayed with you, got you to the door of the restaurant, I presume. Is that to the door? They could have read the menu, but at that point, all of our everyone was there, so okay. we all kind of read the menu together anyway. Okay, but they, I have used it before. Um, actually, that kind of bring on some experience. I was actually showing somebody else this, and if you've ever been to the ball ring in Birmingham, it's crazy. Yeah, it and he was he can't see at all. Um, and when he did this, he actually was walking through the ball ring, and they were telling him the shops. And he went into sports directs. He was looking for socks. It wasn't the most interesting thing. What he did to try it out. And they told him what offers were there, kind of the what the prices were. And he was able to do this without getting shop assistance. I've heard somebody else talking about that, using it for clothes shopping. Which yeah. <laughs> sounds a great um, idea. I think maybe use it in um, a local shop around here. Just had loads of different stuff in it, like chocolate and 
loads of things in there, actually, loads of things in there. And we just wanted to, we kind of wanted just to browse. So we didn't really want to actually be safe harassed by any store people. So I took Ira in there and I got them to read the shelves. So in that way, I didn't have assistance. I wasn't taking assistance's time. I was just there, just browsing through as I wanted to do it, not, so I wasn't having to worry about taking someone else's time up, them having to say, go back and say, deal with the tills and stuff. So I was just there, just kind of browsing like, like anybody else would. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it? That that level of independence. Yeah. Um, t- tell me what you're doing with it day to day in your home, because there's probably loads of things that you would use it for at home. Um, I've used it for filling out forms. So like, for example, if you've got PDF forms that are inaccessible, they can use TeamViewer or Zoom. I think they can use as well, I've heard to remote in and they can actually, um, they can help you actually with tasks. And I think, is it VFO now? I think actually have a partnership with them as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So if you have a VFO product, I think my understanding is anyway, uh, you can connect with Ira and they'll help you. Yeah. You've got to tell them if you were one of the VFO products originally, just so they're aware of it, but I believe they credit back the minutes to you or do they not charge them at all? I'm not sure. And then of course, yeah. You don't get charged for that. I mean, like yesterday, for example, I had a capture, and it was one of them captures that just doesn't read. It, there was no audio on it, which was a pain. So I called up Ira, took a picture of my screen, later on with the capture, just carried on. And then, of course, there is the Ira sites. Um, I don't know if you've been in an Ira site yet, but the idea Not, of is... Yeah, the yeah. airports were there for a while, but yeah. they've gone now, and um, it doesn't, it which does, is a shame. Because it doesn't use your, your minutes, which is brilliant. It doesn't. I mean, for me, obviously, the minutes aren't a concern, but for a lot of people, their minutes will be a concern. And it's not a cheap product. That's one thing. It's not cheap, but it is worth it. Now, do you pay month to month or did you sign a contract for a year? How does that work? You do it month to month. See, so you can't do a year, I don't think, at the minute, but it's the idea is it's month to month. And one of the ways that I've justified this to people, and because people, when you say to me, say it's like £200 a month, someone, the first reaction is, well, expensive. But for example, if you say take for example like a um, there's some re- there's some um, a product called Orcam, I believe, it, isn't it? It's quite it's about three thousand pounds, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And you could buy that for say a year, and you know, Stuart, how fast the technology go like change these days? Like technology changes so fast, so you could say buy that, and a year's time that could be out of date. Now, Orcam, for example, three thousand pounds over fifteen months. You paid for Ira, and Ira can do a lot more than that can do. So again, it's about that investment over a period of time. And in, and in a way, for some people, it could be easier because some people wouldn't say have say three thousand pounds up front. Okay. Now, I well, forget is fact that the glasses come with it, don't they? So the glasses are included. In the in the states, Dean, they're they're providing a um, a little a separate device for managing data. I know you didn't get that because over here we. I got it, but you, I can't. It doesn't work. You got, okay, because because I, I think we we have certainly I think in the UK and Ireland there's very generous data allowances. Are you finding any impact on your data usage? Not really. I mean, I've got 100 gigabytes, so for me it's not an issue. I think in the US they have more limited data plans, so for them it's more it's useful. For me, actually, I think the, the MiFi device, they call it, would be actually a hindrance rather than a help. Well, it's another device to carry with you, I suppose, isn't it? It is, uh, which actually brings on to Horizon, which I'm apparently going to get soon. Um, I'm looking forward to trying that one out because apparently that one, you can it's a smartphone and the glasses together, so it's separate to your own smartphone. 
but that will then also be useful for people who say you don't like touch screens. That would be useful for them as well. Absolutely. And of course, the other thing that the uh, when we spoke with Greg Stilson last month, he mentioned is that because this is connected by a wire, there's going to be no latency with the video feed. Yeah, he did mention that, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and also the fact that them glasses have a central camera, because the glasses that I've got now, I think, is it the Austrian one you've got or the classic? Uh, I, I've got the classic ones, yeah. Yeah, the camera's on, on the right-hand side, isn't it? Yes. So the problem is you've got to kind of do some weird maneuvers sometimes to get what you want to look at. Right. And the fact it's more central will solve that problem. But then sometimes sometimes the good old phone camera does it as well too. That's the interesting thing. And, of course, that's important because you can use the phone camera either and the agent will explain to you how to point the camera, won't they? They will. And actually, because another subject, I've actually noticed I actually switched recently from the iPhone to an Android Samsung Galaxy S9 Plus. And the camera on the S9 Plus seems to be better than the iPhone, which is interesting because agents are noticed are getting really clear images from the Galaxy, even clearer than the iPhone. That's fantastic. And the accessibility-wise on, on, on iOS or Android in relation to Wire, you found no difference? It's The only difference is the app is laid out a bit differently. Like, it looks differently on... It looks different, sorry, on Android than iOS. It's still usable, but it just looks different. And one thing they haven't got yet, they haven't got... That's actually been on screen really important. The messages feature isn't on the Android version yet. That messages feature could be so useful for a lot of people... Um, I was thinking deaf, blind, or, for example, say people who, like, for example, with me next year at university, I could say, for example, say we're wearing AirPods, and I've got a Braille display, I could write to the IRA agent and say, oh, can you write this off the slides for us, instead of having to speak, because the thing is, in a class, you can't speak. Yeah. Or, like I said, deaf, blind as well, so it opens it up to the whole other community as well. They really seem to be innovating at a very fast rate and responding very much to feedback from people. Um, and they seem very, very enthusiastic about getting it over to the UK and Ireland as well, don't they? I spoke to Kelly a couple of months ago about this and she seemed very interested in getting it over here. Absolutely. And of course, they're, they're now, they've started their pilot uh, testing both here and in the UK and I think New Zealand as well. Another thing too, at the minute, if you actually use someone's referral link, if you do want to try it out and you're in the US at the minute, you can get a the first one free, which is good because it gives you the chance to try it out. So you don't pay anything for the first month. Excellent, excellent. It's a, it's a great service. Uh, Dean, I think we should check in with you again in a couple of months and see uh, when, you get, when you have the Horizon glasses and see how it goes and how you're going sure. on. And you're going with Chloe. Uh, for the moment, thanks. I mean, great to hear how well you're getting on with it. And great to hear what a difference it's making for you. And thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. That's no problem. Now you are listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast for August 2018. Do hope you're enjoying our program so far. And remember to stay in touch with the podcast. I know there's change. I know some people are probably listening going, oh, my God. But there is change. But the podcast is continuing. I need to stress that. So please get in touch. Technology Podcast at ncbi.ie or 018821930. And I know one of the things that's really kept this podcast fresh is different voices, different ideas, different perspectives. So please continue to get in touch 
touch and support the podcast. Now, on the 13th of July, we did our by now annual gig with Eric Damery from the VFO group, Freedom Scientific VFO group, and our friends from Sight and Sound, and uh, delighted to bring these guys back to Dublin for another fantastic event. We'd 56, I believe, people in the audience. I think my colleague Rob t- told me 56 people in the audience, and another 25 or so joined our live stream, and lots of people took advantage of fantastic offers on a whole range of VFO software and hardware, thanks to promotions run through Sight and Sound Technology in the UK. Well, if you attended, it was great to see you. I got to talk to so many people on the day, and uh, I know a lot of people were tuning into the live stream and contacting us on Twitter because we were live tweeting, thanks to Roshin and our communications team. And uh, people were emailing in with questions as well. Well, Eric Damery was in top form as always. Eric always gives a great show. And um, as I said last year, because we, we had similar requests this year, it, it's very difficult to podcast the whole thing. Um, so we, we can't do that. But we can give you a snippet here, uh, a real short snippets of some of the things Eric touched on. And um, after giving a brief intro, Eric talked a little bit about JAWS and Fusion and some of the version numbers, numbering, and the Pearl camera. First of all, last year we started to release products using the year. So JAWS for Windows came out in October with a 2018. We had gone from JAWS 18 and then we went to 2018. That was a little confusing, huh? But the idea was we want to be able to synchronize everything. And since ZoomText and Fusion were back at version 11, we brought everything to the year. So Starting the end of this year, guess what's going to release? 2019. 2019, right. Just like the new cars that will come out for next year. The new model comes out at the end of the year. It will work the same way. And there will be a JAWS, ZoomText, and Fusion. And this year they will all hit in the fourth quarter. And then they will be updated throughout the period next year. And then the following year there will be a 2020 version. Now this is important because if you're going to run the two products on a computer together, you want to make sure that you have the 2018 versions both installed. You don't necessarily want to run an old Zoom text with a new JAWS or an old JAWS with a new Zoom text. Make sure they stay together because that's how we develop and that's how we test. So 2018s are out now. And you can see the packaging is kind of put together. Uh, to look the same. We streamlined the installers for both products. So now if you install a ZoomText or you install a JAWS, the install system is the same. It works the same way. Um, we're doing self-voicing rather than try to install a screen reader that will then talk during the installation. We just self-voice. I've tried to speed it up. It's like, let's just get the thing installed. That's what we're trying to accomplish. So you can still do it with outsider assistance but you cannot necessarily review the screens, they'll just speak. Now, if you have an earlier version of JAWS installed, and that's running when you install the new version, the old version will keep running and talk, and the installer knows that you've got an earlier JAWS running so it doesn't self-voice. <coughs> we created a startup wizard as well, so once you've installed the software, this should run first and give you a chance to adjust your settings. We've always done it in JAWS, and there's one in ZoomText now as well. We did some serious updates in JAWS this year for OCR, and I'll talk a bit about that. I'm going to demonstrate some of those things. Um, 
James mentioned the Pearl camera. Uh, I don't have one here today, but has anyone got one or seen one before? I think a couple of hands. I, I had one here, I think, last year when we were, when we were uh, doing this event. The Pearl camera is small. It stands about off the table, up about maybe a foot and a half, and it's very lightweight. You can pick it up. It's just a couple of pounds. It folds up, it'll fit in a backpack, and it's basically a camera on a stick designed to work with JAWS, Fusion, and Open Book. Those are the three products you can use it with. And it plugs, plugs in with a USB cord. Uh, a student, this is perfect for a student, they can pull it out, they can unfold it, set it on a table, it's got a paper guide on the very base of it, and you can just slide a full sheet of paper up against the paper guide so you know it's perfectly positioned under the camera that sits directly above the center. <laughs> Once it's in there, in JAWS, a couple of keystrokes and a dialog pops up and it says, would you like to scan, would you like to take a picture and read this text with the Pearl camera? You press enter, a light comes on, it takes a picture of the page, processes it and reads it to you. It takes about 10 seconds. And so that's all built into JAWS for Windows now in 2018, and that also works for Fusion. So I apologize, we don't have a Pearl camera. Does anyone have a flatbed scanner? If you have access to a flatbed scanner, plug the flatbed scanner into the computer with JAWS 2018 or Fusion 2018, and you can do the same thing. And I'll tell you the keystrokes after. A couple of keystrokes, it comes up, and you can use the flatbed scanner to scan. It won't happen in 10 seconds because it's got to run the scanner to process the page. It's a little slower, and it's not as portable, but it works. Now, some really good and handy features have appeared in JAWS 2018 over its lifetime, not just since it was released, but uh, by the deployment of these regular updates, which usually hit us about every six to eight weeks um, over the year. And Eric talked about a few of these, ScreenShade, Speech on Demand, and a really useful feature to restore speech if something goes wrong. So we've got a few other features, um, a Speech on Demand feature, which I'll demonstrate for you today, but let me talk a little bit about this. We introduced it in Magic. Has anyone here used Magic in the past? No hands. Okay. So we added Speech on Demand into Magic, and I brought it into JAWS specifically for Fusion, but it's also very valuable for a JAWS user, especially someone who uses Braille and relies on Braille quite a bit. The idea behind Speech on Demand is that when you're navigating, alt-tabbing from application to application or going through the start menu to select your program that you want to run or on a web page you're moving by headings or even tabbing from link to link if you've got a braille display or you've got enough vision that you can see on the screen and you're following with your vision you don't necessarily need speech for that so you might want the speech to be off in that case and then when you get to where you want to read, or you want to check a window title, or you want to check and see what time it is in the lower right-hand corner of the screen without leaving focus where you are, and you just want to hear it, you give a speech command, right? In JAWS, insert F12 will tell you what time it is. Insert T will be the window title. So that's a speech command opposed to a navigation command. You might decide that you reached an article on the web page, you've opened the article up, now you'd like to read it. 
So you do a say all command, an insert down arrow, another speech command, and JAWS will start to read. So it stays silent until you give the speech command. Other, in other words, we call that speech on demand. And so I'll show you how to turn that on and try it. Any Braille users here? Yeah. Yeah? So if you use Braille, I want you to remember the speech on demand and go home and experiment with it. You use your Braille to navigation and then use speech when you really need it. I think you'll really appreciate getting away from it. You're actually quicker if you're not waiting for it to talk and tell you something. You know where you're going. Just do the keystrokes to get there and then do the speech. Does anyone use an iPhone? No. Okay, and if you use an iPhone, have you used the screen curtain? Mm -hmm. Why do you use that? For, to save your power? Any other reasons? Privacy. Privacy, exactly. You want to be able to be assured that no one's looking over your shoulder at that text message you're sending to your girlfriend or your boyfriend. <laughs> well, you might be doing your online banking, right? And you don't necessarily want people looking at your screen to see how much money you have in the bank. Um, so we built this into JAWS for Windows, the new screen shade. We didn't call it a curtain, we called it a shade. And so if you're running JAWS 2018 now, there's a keystroke, and I'll demonstrate this to you, give you the keystroke in a, in a few minutes, but it allows you to pop up that screen shade and basically just blank out your screen. Everything works the same. If you're a JAWS user, everything seems normal, but nobody else can see what's going on. All you see is your mouse. Your mouse is still sitting on the screen. So they're gonna know you're working. <laughs> Somebody asked me at, at one of the sessions, I was in Australia last year and when I showed that for the first time, and somebody said, can you make the mouse go away too? I don't want them to know I'm working. <laughs> we haven't put that in yet. But uh, it's, a good, it's a good feature. It does not save your power. I will tell you that right now. Unlike an iPhone, our screen shade Microsoft doesn't give us a, an API to be able to say, turn off the screen on all screens. I think there is a type of screen now that that actually does work, but uh, not on all of them. So it won't save your power. I do suggest if you use a laptop in particular and you're going to be out and about, there's a setting under display where you can turn your brightness way down. If you turn your brightness down, that will save your battery power. Um, has anyone ever had a situation where an IT professional or somebody sighted comes up to your computer and they don't like all that chatter that's going on with your screen reader, so they mute your sound yeah. card? Yeah. And then they go away and say, everything is all set, and they leave, and you come back, and what happens? No speech. You get nothing. So... When we purchased AI Squared a couple of years ago, one of the things that came to us with AI Squared was the GW Micro development team and software. And one of the features that GW Micro had introduced into their software was an unmute automatically feature that you could go in, press a keystroke, and it would unmute the computer for you. And so we had uh, one, of, one of our users in, on the west coast of the U.S. had been asking me about this last year and said, you know, they had a, I used to use that software and JAWS is really good, but I really missed that feature. 
because I've got IT people that are constantly muting my computer on me. Could you put it in? So we got together with the GW team, we got the code out of their software, we implemented it in JAWS, and it's in there now in 2018. So if somebody were to mute your computer, and if you remind me, if I forget, I'll try and demonstrate this for you. If the computer gets muted, you can do one of two things. You can either restart JAWS, and it will automatically unmute it when it starts. Or, has anyone ever done a screen refresh? When you think things got a little wonky on your screen and you do an insert escape, when you do the insert escape, it will unmute your computer if it's muted. So if somebody did that, you don't have to restart your Just insert escape and speech will come back. So always try that if you've lost speech, just in case it got muted. And if someone has also turned down the volume, would that automatically turn off? Yes, so sometimes they didn't unmute, they just zip the volume right down. And so this will reset your volume to 50%. Um, we didn't want to turn it all the way up because it could knock you over. Yes. <laughs> but we, will, we will force volume back to 50% if the volume got turned all the way down. Finally, for this year, from Eric Damery's uh, two-hour, I think it was just over two-hour show, um, Office 365 and Google Docs are something that we've been asked about lots in NCBI. The Office 365 subscription model, which I use and I know lots of other people use, is great value for money, especially if you want to keep up to date with the latest products from Microsoft. Google Docs is another uh, service that lots of people are using, and Eric wanted to talk a little bit about both products. Office 365, is anyone here subscribing to Microsoft Office 365 yet? That's great. So quite a few hands, 10, 10 or so hands go up. So I am as well. I'm on Microsoft. And I encourage people who are going to keep using Office to start thinking about looking at Office 365. Now let me explain a little bit about what that is for those of you who have, have heard about it but don't quite know. Um, Microsoft has gone away from just providing Microsoft Office in a shrink wrap box in a store where you go in and you can buy Office. You know, you used to buy Office 2003, there was 2010, there was 2013. They came out with 2016, and you can still go to the store and buy a box 2016. <coughs> or you can buy Microsoft Office through this 365 subscription, and you're actually getting... Um, a version of Office that's very much looks and feels and is 2016, but you're getting it from a subscription model that's being worked on constantly and updated constantly. And so all of the changes for accessibility that Microsoft is doing are being put into the 365 version and not to the other versions. So if you're running Office 265 that you bought in the store shrink wrapped and you installed it, you're not necessarily getting all the updates that you would be getting if you had bought it through the Office 365 subscription. Now when you buy it online, instead of buying it in the store, there's a couple of ways you can run it. You can use it where it just sits up in the cloud and you never install anything and you're just using their cloud version. Don't do that. That's not the best way. Go ahead and tell it, install the software on my computer. You can save your documents up in the cloud up in the internet so you don't have to store all your documents and that way you can access them from whatever device you connect the next time you can work with the same documents if you're using your documents that way but if you install the software 
the active the uh, access technology products, JAWS and ZoomTex and such, can interact with the software much better on your computer. It's not getting the same information if it's working through the cloud. It's a little slower. So you install the software. Now in the U.S., I think I pay about $100 a year, and I can have Office, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, Outlook, everything installed on up to five devices. So I run it on a couple of computers and on my iPhone, all from that subscription, that annual subscription, and then they just rebuild me once a year. And so I've done it a couple of years now and it works out pretty good. And the advantage of getting those updates from Microsoft, especially the, the things centered around making them work better with assistive technology, it's a great thing. So. Uh, Try that out when you get a chance. How about Google Docs? Is anyone experimenting with Google Docs? One and a half, two, three hands to one. <laughs> Nobody's raising them up there like this. I understand that because it works, but it's still a little flaky, and it's still not nearly as good as running a full version of Office installed on your computer. When you're running Google Docs, you're running it in the cloud. You're running their application out of the cloud. And we, we tend to have problems going back and forth between application mode and virtual mode, and just things aren't completely clean yet. We do have uh, an agreement with Google that we work on. We have a developer full-time on it. It will continue to improve. And I think, especially for an educational standpoint, where lots of schools are going over to that solution, um, we hope it will continue to get better because this is really important for kids to be able to get good access to applications. Now, if you know how to run Microsoft Office, going over and trying out Google Docs isn't going to be that difficult. All the, the keystrokes for navigating and selecting text and editing, all of those things are very much the same. So you can easily transition between the two. Well, there you go. A couple of highlights from Eric Damery's presentation given at NCBI on the 13th of July. Thanks again to everybody who attended. Thanks, of course, to Eric from VFO and uh, James Everson from Sight and Sound. Great to have so many people with us. And indeed, it's an event I think that we hope to run annually. So uh, let's hope we'll have more people in attendance when we do that next year. Now you're listening to NCBI's technology podcast for August 2018. I do hope you're enjoying our program so far. And I'm sitting in NCBI in one of our quiet interview rooms with dead sound. Um, and I'm very happy to be joined by one of our newest, if not our newest IT trainer, Sean Doran. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Sheriff. Great to have you. Thank you. Uh, I know you've been involved in a couple of, I know you're, you're new to NCBI or you're relatively new, but you've actually been involved in lots of different bits of IT. You're working in the Iona Center, you've been in working in the Dundalk office, and you were doing something last year. You were one of the key people behind this digital skills program, which we haven't really talked about on this podcast before and which we probably should have. But what is digital skills, maybe, to start off? Digital skills is, a, is an introduction to the internet, which a lot of people, it's a daunting sort of subject. So we, we kind of bring people in, talk about what the internet is, uh, basic things like how you get on the internet, what you need in terms of ISPs or what equipment you might need, and then we just talk about what the internet can do in terms of communications, uh, emailing people, 
staying in contact with people, touching on social media and how we can keep in contact that way and the ups and downs of all, all these technologies. It's, it's interesting because when, when, when I was talking about digital skills to, to someone last year, I heard a term, it didn't actually come through NCBI, but it was the Department of Communications, I think. We're calling a group of people non-liners. And that's people who, I suppose, for, for a variety of, of reasons, never had the opportunity to get online. Absolutely. So that's what, what you guys are trying to do, yeah? Yeah, well that, that was the department's remit in terms of getting people online who weren't able to get online, whether it was due to location or lack of training or sort of the internet just bypassing them. So we're like trying to get people back in and, and making it more accessible to them in terms of understanding. Okay. But NCBI have the extra task of making it accessible in terms of uh, screen reader software or magnification software. R- right. So, so there, there, are, there are two bits. You, not only are you showing people how to get online, which is a job in itself, but you're also showing them how to use the assistive technologies to make sure they can do it properly. Absolutely. Especially for the first time. We do get a few people who come in who have great uh, tech experience from work. PC use, but they might never have went online. They might have just done their daily tasks on a PC. So it's a great introduction for them also how to use the internet and what else can be done on a computer. It's not just for work. I worked uh, a number of years ago here in NCBI as a technology trainer, and one of the things that really excited me was to see people learn and to see people go, oh my God, I'm going to be able to Skype my aunt in Australia tonight. I couldn't do that before. Are people saying that kind of stuff to oh, you? Absolutely, and when people find out that you can look up newspapers, uh, family history, uh, just things on Wikipedia, the, the amount of information that they can find that they couldn't find before. Mm. And uh, because the department um, want, want people who are sort of maybe isolated in, com- in smaller communities, countryside, or people with disabilities, it's a perfect medium for people to get information who might not have before all right it's a, it's a great program I've, I've seen it i've seen it running over in our training center for the last year or so and you guys have done great work if people are listening into this podcast and they're kind of thinking i'd like to explore that are, are ncbi still kind of taking names for that for that program? yeah they can still contact their, uh, their local office and uh, speak to their community resource worker and they can pass uh, any information on to us and we'll when we have a course coming up, we'll contact people to check their availability. Okay, fantastic. Now, Sean, uh, we did actually bring you here to talk about something that uh, something I've been using for, I think, 20 years. It uh, must be close to 20 years. must <laughs> <laughs> be close. <laughs> makes me feel very old. About Internet Explorer. This web browser that, I suppose, it, it, was, just the, it was the default for so many people, wasn't it? There was just nothing else for so long. Yeah, because it, because it shipped with Microsoft products as a, sta- as, as a default browser. That's the one we all used. Um, before that, we might have used Netscape Navigator, mm. uh, if you remember that. I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a while ago. Um, which became Mozilla, but mm. Internet Explorer shipped with, it, with all our PCs. That was what we used. We weren't looking for other browsers at the time, and they gained a massive market share. It over, was a, over 90%. Wow. It, and it was a very, uh, you know, for a long time, it was a very stable, it was a very simple type of browser, wasn't it? Yeah. And that, that, that's what benefited at the time because websites who are, uh, or people who are making websites were building it for Internet Explorer. They knew what they were doing. Therefore, when we came to use screen readers on it, we knew what we were doing also and everything worked perfectly until all the different sort of standards started changing. And because uh, Internet Explorer had such a big market share, they might not have changed so quickly. They mm. were kind of happy where they were. And that's where the likes of Mozilla and Firefox, Mozilla with Firefox and Chrome come in and 
they were doing new innovations, making it work better, following these new standards, and therefore people who are making the websites wanted to use these new standards. Certainly for a long time, JAWS and NVDA, but probably more so JAWS, was very much, you know, uh, in terms of its feature set, the majority of them were worked best in Internet Explorer. And that was probably one of the reasons I used it almost until about six months ago, Sean. Absolutely. And like everyone else might have stopped using it in about 2006. But because of sort of legacy websites that we'd still be using or applications that we'd still be using through Internet Explorer, that's why we stayed with it with screen readers, because it was already working perfectly for that. But if, you, if you've noticed with newer websites who people aren't taking the time to make it work with Internet Explorer, that's where we're lagging behind then. So if we went on to YouTube or Amazon with an older version of JAWS, we could run into problems. But okay. I think the main problem with uh, Internet Explorer is the security issues that it leaves us with. Right, and, and actually just on that piece about older websites, because it often says to you now, I, I, I remember before I, I ditched Internet Explorer, uh, as you say, you'd go onto something like YouTube and it'd say your browser is out of date. Yeah. It would actually tell you that. It would tell you that because Chrome or Google make YouTube, that's probably one of the main reasons to tell you, but it actually is. It's not compatible with a lot of their their functions. Okay. So we have Internet Explorer, uh, There's and, and there are still a lot of people using it. You probably have a better sense of that because you probably see people in your day-to-day IT training. Who are yeah, absolutely. It? People still use it because, uh, because, because of habit, because it works because it works with what they want to do. But but on the same time, we get a lot of people saying, when they're trying something new, it, it no longer works. I'm having trouble with this website, and I can't seem to do that, and this isn't working. But, but the things that are on uh, previously are still working fine because they still are built for that purpose. Microsoft have said officially that they're not going to be updating this thing anymore they're still going to for the moment anyway provide some security updates yeah with, with internet explorer 11 because it still ships with um i think, I think it still comes on windows 10 mm. uh but they're going to su- support windows 11 but not uh 8 9 and 10 they're completely gone okay and they were on um older pcs like like xp like Windows 8, 7, 8, and 10 can still be sort of upgraded to 11. Okay. I, I was kind of thinking about this yesterday because I was thinking of myself. So much of what I do now is online. I mean, the other day I pay my credit card bill. I have my online banking. I'm using Amazon, shopping, you know, booking flights. Are we safe doing that on Internet Explorer anymore? Or is there more potential for there's risk? A, there's a higher risk. Okay. okay. Because, um, because it's not supported as quickly. So... Um, Microsoft might wait a longer time before they put a patch on. And there was a lot of things there in, around May. There was, um, I think they were called double kill exploits. So it was like a, a program or a website that was still using Explorer might have set off a, a bit of code that might have installed itself onto your computer and might have tried to steal passwords and logins. There's still a very small percentage of that happening. But you have much less that chance of that with a newer browser. Of course. And obviously, as you say, if Microsoft are probably not going to update, not going to give priority to updating this thing. No. Uh, if, if, if people are using other browsers. And of course, they have their own newer browser that they want everyone to switch to anyway, haven't they? Yeah, exactly. Um, but with Edge, but if, if Chrome and Firefox have 90% share of the market and Internet Explorer only has 10 even the websites are going to provide less security for Internet Explorer because they're going to focus their their attention to the bigger market share. 
Okay. Now, for people who are still using Internet Explorer, and, you know, this is probably a difficult question, Sean, because it depends so much on what technology you're using already Absolutely. in terms of assistive, but what's, what are the options for people? Well, Chrome is a great option. It's a very fast, safe browser. Um, but you might need a newer system. You might need a newer screen reader to keep up with the latest uh, changes in these things. So I know, like, the Freedom Scientific might suggest Windows 10 and JAWS 2018. Even NVDA, they suggest um, Windows 10 and the latest Firefox. Uh, that, that's, that's where you'll have no issues on your end. Okay. There is, isn't there, a more of um, an onus and certainly a lot of encouraging now on users to keep themselves current, both software and hardware. Absolutely. And that, that, that everything's changing so fast. And it's only going to start getting changing faster. And we have to make sure we're, we're safe on the internet. We have to have our antivirus updated all the time. We have to have the latest security updates on our, on our, win, on our, um, on our operating system. And the same on our browsers. We have to have the latest browser. And therefore, that conflicts that we might have an older screen reader. So sometimes we have to keep everything up to date. And there, there's options. Mm -hmm. So when you switch from something like Internet Explorer, you know, people that have known it well, known it for Absolutely, a long time. Yeah. But the look and feel on the day-to-day -day on the websites isn't actually that different, sure? It's not. No, it's, it's quite similar. A lot of the commands are still similar. Uh, one or two things is obviously different, and that will have to be learned, and that will take... A short amount of time, but once you get into the habit, it'll be second nature once again. My 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 personal experience of changing, Sean, and I would have talked to you around this time, but I was moving from IE. I decided to go for Chrome. I'm yeah. not really sure why I did. I just did, and I really like it now. But I moved over to Chrome. It when I installed Chrome and ran it, it asked me. It, it knew that Internet Explorer was on my PC. It said, "Would you like to import your favorites?" Because I I have so much stuff in my favorites Absolutely, over the years. Yeah. I imported them. One thing I found a little bit difficult was I couldn't get to them as easily as I did with IE. I think you then gave me a keystroke that certainly made that easier. So yeah. there are ways, sometimes maybe little usability uh, changes you might have to make. And I, know, I know some people would press um, F6 to go to your address bar. And if you have uh, your, your top favorites in your bookmarks bar, F6 will jump to your bookmarks bar. Okay. You could have maybe eight, eight of your top sites saved there before you have to go to your bookmarks manager. Okay. Uh, one thing that I'm that it took it took me a little while to get used to because there's about ten ways to do everything in, in Windows. I was Internet Explorer for years. Control and O was always my way to open a new website, not Alt and D, but again yeah. that'll work. And of course, I was doing that in Chrome. Chrome Control and O opens a document or a yeah, file, so right, uh, yeah. I still make that mistake every so often. And that's, that's just habitual, kind of. Yeah. We're so used to the IE um, muscle memory and all absolutely. That stuff. Yeah. Now, so so Chrome is definitely viable. Firefox is viable, but there are some caveats with Firefox depending on what you're using. Yes, because um, Firefox, when they updated to version 53, it was called Quantum, and uh, it was faster, but it, screen readers lacked access to it. They couldn't get access to APIs, so therefore it, was, it wasn't working out. It was going really slow, but recently they have updated to version 60, or just around the start of last month. So screen readers will work with it again as long as you have the latest version of your screen reader. Okay. JAWS 2018 won't have a problem, but JAWS, like even JAWS 17 will. I think if you're, if you're looking at doing this and you're not sure, give us a call here in NCBI. Absolutely, yeah. And um, we'll have a chat and, and work out what's on your system and help you make a decision. Sean, where are we with something like Edge? I heard some fully sighted people saying they don't like it so I, yeah, I still don't like Edge <laughs> screen reader is what it's like it actually lo it looks nice enough but it, it, it just doesn't flow right for me 
But one of the main problems was when it was first released, uh, that the tablet mode version of Windows 10, it was more designed for that. So if you had a mobile device, it would work as a mobile browser. You could hold on a photograph, it would save it, give you, or give you a context menu to save it, and it didn't have context menus for the keyboard. They've since fixed that. But like everything else, um, once it gets a bad name, people don't want to go back to it. Because when I first started in NCBI, Chrome had a really bad name because it didn't work well with screen readers. But that was only its an initial conception. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because Microsoft, when they did, when they started this with Internet Explorer, it was easy to do it. There was only one other competitor. They pretty much got rid of that competitor and got taken to court for it, and yeah, quite a, rightly, I think. To write a book on that. Uh, yeah. But now, as you said, these other websites are well established. It's very hard for them. And people will kind of say, well, why should I change? Yeah. You know, my, my Chrome, my Firefox is fine. These guys are updating all the time. Why would I change? And, and much like um, when you go into Google for the first time um, with a different browser, it'll often give you an option to download Chrome. Like, they want you to use Chrome. Um, but, like, the so Chrome's very good. Firefox is very good. It's just Internet Explorer just lacks in certain things. Okay. It's still very good functionality-wise for what we, what we like to do, but you're not so safe on it. So I think the key thing is move away if you can from Internet Explorer. Look, explore Chrome, explore Firefox, depending on what you have. I would actually encourage people, try out Edge, have a play with it. If you have Windows 10 yeah. and the latest of your JAWS or NVDA, it's fine. But as you said, you're, very, oh. you're right, it lacks some of the functionality. It's certainly from a screen reading perspective, it lacks some of the advanced functionality to make uh, browsing a little bit easier. Well, the, be the best thing we can do is get feedback from people. Mm. Um, like People have different combinations of systems and softwares and if they do try different browsers, it's good for us to know what they're experiencing. Sean, we're at a, an interesting juncture, I think. We're moving for between this mobile and maybe PC or computer or desktop-based world. Uh, people are accessing information on a number of different devices, sometimes simultaneously. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, where do you think it's all going? Will we have three or four browsers? Will there be a browser war in, I don't know, two or three years' time? Or is, is it going to be one browser will get back to that 90% share? Um, well, Chrome is probably close to that. Like, um, obviously, Safari on, on the Apple devices, it's its only option, really. You can still download Chrome and other browsers to it, but everyone sticks with Safari. But in terms of different devices, we're always going to have a mobile device on us now, I think, um, whether it's an Android device or, a, or an iOS device, and we'll still have to connect to the Internet with them. It's interesting because I suppose... You, it, it also makes you wonder in three, four, four years' time how the PC market will be, you know? Uh, Microsoft, obviously, were putting a lot of resources into the idea of Windows Mobile, and they just gave up. Yeah. Now I hear rumors they might be interested in doing it again. Uh, obviously, Narrator and things like that have, have come a long way. Absolutely, so yeah. It, it, the, the landscape is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, like everyone, everyone has their own, um, their own voice search, whether Microsoft is Cortana, and you know, we've... We have news of Siri and OK Google, and mm -hmm. I know you like Alexa now too. I do. <laughs> Sorry to anyone who has Alexa on. We've both, <laughs> we've, we've both woken her up. Yeah. Alexa, stop. Alexa. <laughs> Yeah, it, it is. It is because, and I think this is the thing, getting all these, all these different devices, big manufacturers making different devices. One thing I find, and, and I toyed with the idea of buying an Apple HomePod, and I kind of decided no. But some of the reviews I read on it didn't give, get me excited enough to buy the thing, but I'm th kind of thinking we're, we're engaging with the web on so many devices, so many accounts to do different things. Um, you'd wonder in three, four years' time, will people just want one way one way possibly this. but in terms of employment we're still heavily uh, Windows based mm. 
uh, lots of software still Windows based like very few um, employment organisations will be using Mac or mobile devices now, you, you do see salesmen go around with uh, their, their iPads and their, and their tablets and they can use it that way but in, in terms of office work or shop work we're still sort of using mostly PCs yeah. and software is still mostly written for us I think we're always going to be dependent on, on that end of it but that's why we're probably going to have mobile versions of Windows that are more powerful than they, they currently are it's a question we were often asked in CBI about maybe why we don't promote m- maybe training on Mac platforms more. And I was always saying to people, well, the reality, and you've just said it, is that in employment, that doesn't exist. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, film studios, graphic designers, they might use uh, Mac a lot more for the graphical end of it. But in terms of what we'd be using it, we're still sort of kind of leaning towards Windows for those reasons of yeah. employment. It's a very exciting time. And as you said, it, things are updating constantly. Keep yourself up to date. Those um, security updates and big uh, what do they call it? the next one will be the fall creators update I suppose that comes to Windows install yeah. them because they generally have good reason absolutely like, and like, that's where you talk about digital skills always keep up to date do virus scans make sure you have a good antivirus keep it up to date sometimes we, we sometimes we ignore these things and we don't do an update we, do, even don't, we don't do a Java update because we don't think Java does anything but people on the other side could be accessing that then no, it's not, uh, updates are normally plugging gaps in safety Okay, I just got a kid turned on my machine this morning, got a notification of Java update, Java update, and, and ignored, uh, it. It ignored it. So I'm now going to go in and do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so, sometimes updates work against us like that. Oh, the system isn't working the way it normally is. Mm. But we kind of have you, you kind of have to trust them that they're they've got our best interests at heart and we're going to keep us safer. And 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 you know, I think the other thing people find, and I found this myself. I'm sure you have too. Maybe more so on the mobile devices. Sometimes an update changes your favorite feature. Oh, absolutely! You know? Yeah, like, it really oh, does. No, yeah. So and, and that is a, that is a major problem. With um, we get so complacent with where we like things and how it works, and um, when it changes, you just want to throw your phone against the wall sometimes. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. It does happen occasionally. Um, Sean, we could talk forever. I think there's so much stuff. But look, the key thing, you, you, the message you wanted to, I suppose, deliver today is move away from Internet Explorer as soon as you can. It's not a fully secure browser. Have a look at Chrome or yeah. Firefox as alternatives. And our screen readers are, are working towards the newer browsers also. Okay. All right. Sean, lovely to chat to you. I hope we're going to catch up with you again soon. But for the moment, thanks, Emil, for talking to us. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, everyone. Now, thank you very much to Sean Doran there. Great to chat to Sean. He is a bit of an Android guru, I have to say. And we, we could have talked for ages, I have to say. it was a, I've had very interesting conversations with Sean about technology and where it's all going and AI and uh, everything else. So many thanks, Sean, for taking the time to talk to us. And remember, if you are interested in digital skills, that great initiative um, that's running out all throughout the country, uh, please contact your local IT trainer or your local NCBI office and we'll make sure um, to get your name on the list for the next course that's taking place in your area. Now, you're listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast for August 2018. It's a long podcast this month. We're well over an hour into the programme so far and we're not finished yet. Not at all. Because uh, I promised you uh, last month and I think the month before that I was going to replay a really nice interview that I did in 2015 with the late Paul Trainer. 
Um, I, I guess for me, two major events in NCBI that happened in the last two years were the sudden death of my very good friend and colleague Jared Byrne last October and the sudden death of my very good friend and colleague Paul Trainer in April. And it really makes you reevaluate and think about life and think about everything that's going on in your own life. Paul, we've said so many things about Paul already. Um, if you listen to our podcast from May, you'll hear them all. But Paul was unique. He was truly inspirational. He was an amazing guy. And so many people have said so many lovely things about Paul. And I remember in early 2015, Paul gave me a call. And at the time, he was sitting with his then manager, Mark McGuinness, who was director for the, of the Centre for Inclusive Technology, now gone on to bigger and better things in the private sector. And Mark and Paul said, Stuart, would you mind doing an interview uh, about the tech support line and what we can and can't do? So Paul and I went to a room in NCBI up on the top floor and sat down and had a lovely chat. And I'm delighted to be able to play this for you in its entirety from the March 2015 Technology Podcast. Here is the wonderful Paul Trainer. Well, you're listening to NCBI's Technology Podcast for March 2015. We promised you in February that we were going to be introducing you to a familiar voice, and indeed a very familiar voice, if you happen to call NCBI's telephone tech support line. It's our one and only tech guru, Paul Trainer. Paul, welcome back. Hey, Stuart. How are you? It's um, great to be back. Good to have you back. We're sitting here at the in the top floor of NCBI's main building in a quiet room. Um, and I suppose the reason I said, well, the reason you wanted to come back really was because you and, you and I have been talking a little bit lately about tech support and about the tech support service NCBI runs and we thought it would be a very good time to just remind people what we can and maybe more importantly what we can't do. Exactly, know. yeah. Okay. It's, it's been something that's been um, you know going on for a long time now as as people become more and more familiar with different uh, different forms of technology. They, you know, I suppose they the first thing they'll do is ring up, you know, somebody that hopefully they think can help them. But it's 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 not always uh, possible to do that unless you've got the piece of equipment sitting in front of you. So so let's maybe just go r maybe right to the basics and and look at somebody who gets a piece of technology from. NCBI, either through a, a fund, maybe through the HSC, through what, what we, we call the Technical Aids Grant, which some people may be familiar with, or they purchase themselves. There is tech support available for that, right? There is, yeah. I mean, um, there's, two, there's two ways, three actually. Um, I would always say that probably when you get your equipment, whatever it is, and set it up at home, that maybe uh, the first thing you should do if you're not familiar with it is make a call to NCBI and get an IT trainer to come out and spend maybe a, a couple of hours, you know, maybe over a period of a few weeks or whatever. The next then is if you have some general queries about the screen reader or about Windows in general or, you know, maybe um, setting up a piece a scanner or something like that to your computer give me a call if 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 there's no one else available give me a call that's what i'm there for and i'll try and help you out and more importantly i'm getting into maybe doing it remotely more now than i used to do so being able to remote into your uh, computer and set it up would be uh, another way that i could probably help out 
So, so you're connecting to someone's machine remotely. They're they're sitting yeah. there. You you make a connection, and it's it's, a, it's as though you're sitting in front of their machine. Yes, brilliant. Okay, so you're you're available on the phone Monday to Friday. People can call you up. Mm-hmm. What's the kind of what's the procedure if there is one? And there's probably isn't a definite one. But when you're calling tech support as a as a user, as someone who needs the support, maybe you need it quick. You're you might have a deadline, whatever. What should people sort of be, be, be ready to do in order to maximize this tech support time they have with you? Well, you know, sometimes I get people ringing me up with a computer query or uh, um, ask me about some piece of equipment and I'll say, well, are you at the computer now? And uh, occasionally they'll say to me, well, no, I'm not at the computer now and um, I probably won't be at it for the next couple of days. I mean, I don't really think that's a suitable way to contact any technical support because uh, I know from my own experience contacting tech support lines and telling them that you're not at the particular piece of equipment there and then, uh, they're just not going to talk to you or deal with you. So, and and it's you're not helping yourself. Um, so it would be a good idea to be at your computer or have your piece of equipment in hand, have it switched on, have things ready to go. And then maybe we can take it from there and make some progress. And I suppose if you're using a device that speaks, whether it's a screen reader or maybe it's a, a mobile device, uh, it, it's important that uh, where possible that you can hear it over the phone, right? Exactly. That's another thing. Um, having um, your screen reader or or your portable device speaking through a set of headphones um, isn't going to help me unfortunately because I myself I'm totally blind and maybe maybe we should establish that actually at the beginning you are you are you are totally blind yes I'm totally blind myself and I depend a lot on voice feedback so you know that would always be a help and also what would be a help too is if perhaps you have a sighted person coming in fairly regular to the house or whatever that maybe they might be available to help out when we are actually working on the equipment okay so somebody calls up you 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 presumably fix either in person over the phone you talk them through something you mentioned this remote connection before but but you do lots of other things don't you i was going to ask you to talk us through an average day there probably isn't an average day for a tech support person because i'm sure every day is different well there's not really because um I, I, for instance, in the morning time, I try to work out a sort of a schedule for myself during the day. But, uh, you know, in in recent times, recent years, I've discovered it's just impossible to have a a proper schedule. I mean, for instance, when when a new version of software comes out or or a piece of hardware that's becoming more and more used by uh, visually impaired people, uh, is, is is being used, then I have to read the manuals. And uh, as I should say at this point, that is always a great place to start when you get your new equipment. Read the manual, because it's there you learn so much more about your equipment. So I read the manuals for the software or the hardware. Um, I have, I'm subscribed to a lot of technology email lists, so that takes a lot, an, another bit of time from my day. 
Um, in between all this, I'm taking calls and noting down people's queries, problems, and trying to find, for those that I can't get solutions to over the phone there and then, I have to go off and research the problem and maybe then get back to those people and try and uh, apply whatever um, resolutions I might find for their issues. Um, also, like today, I have to come to Dublin from time to time to attend meetings and things like that with the other IT trainers. One of the more interesting things I think you've done, and, and a real way to, to get this, and we've been talking about it before on this podcast, peer support and peer learning, is you established a couple of years ago your, your VIP students list. Yes. And it's a really active online community, I suppose we can call it that, mm-hmm. that uh, people are supporting each other. Is, was that your intention? Yeah, that was that was something I always wanted. Even I suppose way way back, you know, um, I've I've always wanted something like that. And we have nearly two hundred people on that list at the moment, and it's there for anyone to join. Um, the uh, it, it's 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 a it's a free open list for people to join and put out their queries on various problems they're having with their technology or indeed to give help to other people who may have problems with their equipment so you know we talk about generally anything IT related on it um, because the way I see it is everything is of interest to to the members of the list has the pattern of tech support query maybe the regular <coughs> the regularity if that's the word of of support queries changed since that list was established are people getting the support elsewhere are people being able to maybe find the solutions themselves by asking the question do you think I think definitely so. It's also put people in touch with each other that, you know, while I don't recommend it, but some people just tend to build up a relationship between each other uh, out of meeting on the list, and they just email each other and um, get, you know, help that way. But I always prefer that people put their queries out on the list because what's what's what might not be my problem today could be could be down the road sometime. Okay, exactly. So it's really important that people can see each other's <coughs> yes. queries. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So th- they're the kind of tools that are available at the moment. There's mm-hmm. the telephone support, NCBI's technology trainers, this very active online support called VIP students, and we'll put a link to that on the show notes for this episode. Okay. I want to touch on things that are potentially problematic for the tech support service and maybe for NCBI more broadly. And I'm going to pull out a typical scenario, Paul, that I think you've got them. And I've certainly taken calls. I know some of our colleagues training have taken calls. And someone rings and says, I, bought a new, I got a new tablet for Christmas. Can you help me? End. And that's a difficult one, isn't it? It is because um, tablets, there are so many different models of tablets as they are in lots of equipment, but the, 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 the tablets have become so uh, fashionable now for a lot of people since um, JAWS has implemented a little bit of support, and also there's the free screen reader NVDA. They, they have both implemented a little support for tablet users who are using screen readers, also for people who are using magnification um, on the tablets. Um, Again, for people like myself, it's not always easy to, to uh, you know, help in those situations without 
a bit more information and a bit more study of the problem. Also, um, at this point in time, I think it would be fair to say that Windows 8.1 on tablet machines is not particularly accessible for those of us who are visually impaired. And um, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy thing to offer a solution to how do I bring up the charms bar or the start menu or how do I do a search in Windows 8.1 on my tablet. Again, because there are so many different models and, uh, you know, the likes out there. So um, I think that something like that would be something best taught um, by... Uh, perhaps uh, a sighted IT person or, or whatever in, in the user's own home or by uh, a friend or something like that because okay. a lot of the time uh, the problem that the person is having it's not really a problem on the on the actual device it's just a learning thing I think it's also really important isn't it to, to ask people because and I know, I know this is difficult if you get a tablet for Christmas you can't really hand back the present but if you're thinking of buying a tablet find out what other visually impaired people are using before mm-hmm. you go out and buy and if it's if you're low vision you know I, I was only talking to someone the other day going into the shop and trying three or four of them which one works for you if you're if you're using screen reading you know, you you got to think about what what is going to be the best experience for what you want, haven't you? Yeah, I I think so. And again, I find it hard to move away from things like the Apple products because Apple have done a really good job on how they've how they've developed um, touch devices for uh, for use by blind people. They have you know got a really good strategy and a really good. Uh, format for their uh, accessibility software and um, for me I suppose things like the iPhone and the iPad uh, and that are very good in terms of touch devices but I'm not I'm not going to recommend somebody use a Windows based tablet just at this point okay. in time so, so you're not recommending at no. this moment Windows no. Win- okay now the other I suppose aspect to tech support and it often strays into training because there's a difference between tech support over the phone and training somebody because training is generally more detailed and I was telling you before we came on air a long time ago when I was doing a lot more tech support than I am now because you are the guru um, we got a call in and somebody wanted to know how to use mail merge and it's an interesting question and not everybody listening might agree with this because my take on it was if you're at a point in your computer usage uh, career for want of a better word where you can use mail merge is it the role of NCBI support to tell you how to use mail merge or should you have the tools to, to, to look that up yourself where do you stand on that kind of stuff well I would agree Stuart with, with you we talked about this and, and you know uh, again, it, it is a good point that if somebody is at the level where they're, you know, moved on to mail merge, then, you know, they should be able to look up uh, various sources of help that will um, give them uh, a good understanding of how to do mail merge in various um, uh, iterations of Microsoft Word. Um, I know there's a difference between using Microsoft Word 2003, 2007, 2010, and 13. So, you know, maybe a good place to start might be uh, Google, 
which is personally where I get a lot of my information from. And I think it might be a good idea for people to learn how to use Google properly because there are ways of using the likes of Google in, uh, that will give you uh, the kind of result that you want. I mean, if you do a, if you do a search for mail merge, that's going to return results for just about every word processor that's out there. You need to be specific in your keywords when you're using something like Google Search. And the more specific you are and, 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 and how you refine your search criteria in Google will give you really good results on how to do particular things such as a mail merge or, or, or a PowerPoint presentation or something like that. I think that's a topic for a tutorial. We're going to have to bring you back to do that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> You've just volunteered yourself. Oh, what's, what's the most frustrating or difficult part of your job? And I, and I should say, maybe before I ask you about that, because you, I know personally you work hours and hours outside of the nine to five. You're very accommodating to people who may not be able to get tech support during the day. You're always writing up tutorials. What's, what's difficult about being a tech support officer? I, I think that I've realised you can't be all things to all people. Um, I find that I get messages left on my phone um, asking me, for instance, how do I do um, how do I do a, 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 an import of a CD into iTunes 12, or how do I you know various things like that that I don't normally use in my day-to-day -day work because it's not that I don't want to use them it's because I just simply wouldn't have the time to use them for instance if you take the typical technical support people who work in in companies such as for instance just say PayPal or Hewlett Packard or somewhere they're assigned assigned a specific role a specific area of tech support and they don't they don't go outside that but in, in, in our jobs, Stuart, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, we, we kind of have to be all things to all people. Yeah. I used to say to somebody before about tech support, in, and it's not just in NCBI, it's in the sort of AT area, in the you know, not-for-profit, where, where people just, just need a little bit more support sometimes. Yes. You, you really have to get people from turning on the machine to... Uh, we just talked about it there, these very advanced features in something yes. like, say, Microsoft Word. And there has to be, for from a, a resourcing perspective and to make sure everybody gets access to your expertise, there has to be a bit of a, a start and end to that, hasn't there? There has to be some sort of line drawn somewhere because even at the moment, I find in the last six months, uh, things becoming more and more and more, you know... Um, high tech with people people are becoming more aware of what's out there and they want to be able to use these things and naturally enough and i probably would do the same myself and maybe you would too Stuart. if there's somebody that we think maybe can offer us some solution to to a feature on our new tablet or whatever that we we want to we want to be familiar with then we're going to ring them up and try and get that information and, and that but the person on the other end of the phone may not necessarily have that information and I find I, I, I for one 
I'm disappointed when I can't offer a solution. Of course. But I know from, I suppose, working with you over a long number of years, when you can't offer a solution, you go, you research it. We have a very active uh, internal staff list here for the tech staff. Uh, People like Colin Kenny, who people are also probably aware of, who does tech support. Colin is excellent. And Colin himself even would probably appreciate all this because he himself does have an immense workload trying to, um, you know, deal with internal issues as well as external so he's got a double you know um, um, job profile there okay I think if we're to summarise this whole chat Paul because we, we've, we've touched on an awful lot of stuff and, and I think we've got a, a well at least I hope after, after listening to this people have a better sense of what you do but I think if we were to summarise this we'd say that the, there is a, a tech support service available from NCBI we'll give the phone number and email in a second okay. and we will do whatever we can to help but you, we, we, we don't always meet everything no, just use it as uh, uh, for what it can get, what what you can get out of it, but don't abuse it. Okay. Because you know we we want to help and we really do want to help, but it's just impossible to be all things to to everybody. You know. Okay, and and use um, the resources, for example, yeah. like the uh, VIP yeah. students list, which we're going to put information on the show notes. Yeah. Paul has set that up. We also yeah. have your local technology trainer. Anyone who's listening yeah. doesn't know their technology trainer. Email technology podcast at yes. NCBI. We can find out. And don't be afraid if if you want a tutorial written up on something, and if it's possible for me to write it up, and you feel that you would benefit better if I wrote out the steps in a tutorial and emailed them to you, then, you know, feel free to ask me. If I can do it, I'll say, no problem. If I can't, I'll say, well, I either will have to research this or I just simply can't do it. But feel free to ask. And again, I suppose writing tutorials and doing that kind of stuff is, there's very, um, I suppose, specific pieces of information, isn't there, that that you give to people who, in particular, I suppose, uh, screen reader users, and you're breaking things down into steps because, you know, your screen reader will say this, listen for these for these words or these cues yes so Paul how can people most importantly after all that how can people contact you okay well you can contact me in a couple of ways um, you can contact me by email which is a very good way to contact me if you just simply want me to write out the steps for some issue or other that you're having maybe I can write them out for you and that might be an easier uh, way for you to, to, to you know deal with the problem you can get me at support at sign ncbi.ie my phone number uh, is one eight fifty nine two three o six o. Alright, so support at ncbi.ie 1-850-923-060 and the, your, your tech support line is open Monday to Friday It is, and sometimes if I can, sometimes I will arrange maybe to talk to somebody after hours or at a, uh, on a Saturday or something like that Okay, so there is some flexibility built into yeah. that service as well Alright, yeah. Paul, it's always nice to catch up with you, I think it's it's very nice to sort of get a, um, a maybe an internal or a behind the scenes sense of what goes on in tech support so I think that's what we tried to do today so, yeah. so uh, thanks for giving us the, the time and uh, I hope we're going to bring you back uh, on a future edition of the podcast in the not too distant future love to yeah and thanks for having me Stuart 
Well, there you go. What a wonderful way to end this podcast and what a really fitting way for me, I think, to end the very last podcast I produce for NCBI with a wonderful interview with Paul Trainer. I, I still remember, you know, I picture us sitting up there having that lengthy chat, um, such an easy chat, and I was so glad to be able to bring it to you again. Uh, Paul's memory and legacy in NCBI will never be forgotten. The hours and hours and, and, and so much help that Paul gave to so many people will never be forgotten. His tutorials, his active email list, uh, all part of his wonderful legacy uh, in NCBI. So uh, I hope you enjoyed that piece. I, I thoroughly enjoyed bringing it to you. That's just about it. It's been the longest podcast we've ever produced. Uh, so um, I think the new team will, will do more concise podcasts, I, I'm sure. Uh, we're almost up on one hour, 40 minutes. But hey, I think we needed to do it. Lots of uh, quality stuff on the podcast this month. And thanks, of course, as always, to our contributors, uh, Sharon Lyons, Dean Mills, Eric Damery, Sean Doran, and of course, Paul Trainer. Um, folks, again, thank you so much. Thank you for supporting me throughout the six plus years of this podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for feeding back. And thank you for all the encouragement that I received. And I want to thank my colleagues in NCBI and my own family, um, because when you're, and especially for my fiance, when you're living with someone who's spending a fair amount of their evenings sometimes editing and splicing, um, I think it can be a bit frustrating, let's say. Uh, anyway, that's just about it. We're out of here. Join us in September. I was going to say when, I don't really know what, but join us in September for the NCBI Technology Podcast, which is continuing. Make sure to stay subscribed. I do hope to speak to you in the future, in another life. Until then, from Stuart Lawler, take care. Thank you so much for everything and for listening to our technology podcast and speak to you soon. Bye-bye.